Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, the company that first introduced me to functional and medicinal mushrooms and whose products I have been using for almost a decade. Mushrooms are absolutely fascinating. Being genetically closer to humans than they are to plants, the largest organism in the world is a mushroom. And mushroom networks allow trees and plants to talk to each other using something called mycorrhizal networks. Many types of mushrooms are also well studied for their benefits to humans and widely used in many ancient medicinal traditions and cultures. Researchers found that mushrooms have high amounts of ergothionine and glutathione, which are both important antioxidants that help fight age-related decline. I personally love eating culinary mushrooms any chance I get, but sometimes it can be hard to work those into my everyday diet every single day. And specific mushrooms have additional more targeted benefits, and that's why I love Four Sigmatic. They have a wide variety of beverages that incorporate these amazing superfood mushrooms and that taste amazing. On a typical day, I'll drink a cup of their mushroom-infused coffee or matcha with ingredients like lion's mane for focus or cordyceps to support overall health. I also love winding down with a cup of their reishi elixir, which helps me fall asleep and get more restored to deep sleep. I love their packets on the go because they're easy to throw in my purse or in my bag when I travel, and I'll often just order a cup of hot water on the go and make some lion's mane coffee on the plane. I also love mixing a packet of their coffee or matcha into a protein drink on the go for a protein-packed iced latte option. And speaking of protein, they have the only plant-based protein I like, with seven functional mushrooms plus adaptogens, and the flavor is great, especially I love their peanut butter flavor. You can check out these and all of their products at foursigmatic.com slash Wellness Mama and use the code Wellness Mama to get a discount. So again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash Wellness Mama and the code Wellness Mama. This episode is brought to you by Wellness. That's Wellness with an E on the end, which is my line of non toxic, family focused personal care products, including hair care, oral care, and now deodorant. At my house, the kids' toothbrushes and the kids' strawberry toothpaste are by far the favorites. The toothbrushes come in a three-pack of fun colors, which makes it easy for my kids to know which toothbrush is whose. The strawberry toothpaste tastes great, so there aren't any fights about teeth brushing in my house. And I love that it's formulated around something called hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral found in tooth enamel. All of our toothpaste use only EWD-verified safe ingredients, are free of toxins and are packed with ingredients that naturally support the oral microbiome for stronger, healthier, and whiter teeth naturally. We also have a natural whitening mineral toothpaste and a charcoal toothpaste, as well as floss and toothbrushes for adults. Check out these and all of our products at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this episode is all about oral health and more specifically the collapsing jaw of our next generation and how we can fix it. And I'm here with Dr. Stephen Lynn, whose work I have followed for a while. He is a world-leading functional dentist, the author of The Dental Diet, which I highly recommend if you experience any oral health problems. He really goes into a holistic understanding of those and how to fix them. And his work focuses on the understanding of dental disease through root cause nutritional protocols. And so he, think of him as like a holistic doctor, but for your mouth. His clinical protocols have redefined interventional orthodontic treatment with the goal of preventing braces in kids through understanding the causes of jaw growth and correcting them when they are children or teenagers. And we go deep on a lot of these topics today, talking about a lot of the misconceptions for parents when it comes to a child's jaw growth, how we can help our kids grow a jaw that fits their adult teeth, the factors that come into play with early tooth decay and collapse of the jaw. We talk about Dr. Weston A. Price's work, and we talk about factors that make a difference in jaw structure in utero and at different phases of childhood development. He talks about what to look for in your kid's teeth and jaw development at different ages and how to be proactive in making sure that they are developing as optimally as possible. He talks about a mistake many parents make when introducing foods to babies, how keeping the nose clear might actually be more important than cleaning the teeth early on. We talk about problems with mouth breathing in children and adults how to reprogram you or your child's breathing and improve tongue posture for better sleep, how sleep connections um, are related to jaw development, as well as how poor sleepers often have food issues as well. 
And then he talks about some dietary things that can help at any of these phases. So as always, Dr. Stephen is a absolute wealth of knowledge and he shares so much information in this episode. I know you will learn a lot. I know I did as well. Let's join Dr. Stephen Lin. Dr. Stephen, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me back, Katie. It's great to talk again. It is so great to chat with you again as well. And as I've said on this podcast before, I love talking about oral health because I think it's so foundational to the health of the whole body. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings when it comes to different aspects of oral health. We got to delve deep on some of those in our first episode, which I will link in the show notes. But in this one, I'm especially excited to talk to you about jaw development and bone structure and some other aspects we didn't get to go deep on last time, because it seems like there's a lot of misinformation that goes on in this realm. And I know you have done a lot of research and work hands-on in this, and I'm excited to learn from you. I guess to start broad, I would love to talk about maybe um, crooked teeth in general, because I feel like that's the problem that's top of mind for a lot of parents is if their kids' teeth are crooked, their immediate thought is braces, or we need to fix the alignment of the teeth. Um, But what should parents be aware of when it comes to crooked teeth in kids? Yeah, kind of as an overlying uh, message for parents out there and something one of the bigger misconceptions I think that um, really exists for for parents you know with young children is that they can actually participate in their child's jaw growth so they they can understand how their child's teeth are developing and actually help their child to grow a jaw that fits adult teeth. Now that's something that we 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 probably didn't grow up with, Katie. But having kids, you know, you have six kids, and I've I've got three kids now. Actually, since I, we last spoke, I had three kids under three, and so my oldest is now four. And so I'm kind of living, you know, the both sides of this world where I'm, I'm watching my own children grow, and we're treating these children in, in the clinics. And the great thing that I'm you know seeing now is that as this has been going on. You know, since I wrote my book in um, 2018, the parents are starting to wake up to this. And we have people coming into the clinic and asking, hey, this seems to be not right, how my kids' teeth are coming together, or there's this habit that I'm not sure that seems right. You know, what can we do about it? So there's, it's like an awakening in the sense that parents really should be focusing on the growth of the jaw because it influences how a child feeds, how they sleep, how they breathe, and ultimately the the base of the jaw really forms the foundations of the brain for the child and the neurological system the the neurohormone system that releases all of the um endocrine hormones throughout the body you know so w- when we're really thinking about any kind of growth development uh, factors for a child we should be thinking about how their jaw is growing that makes so much sense and it, i feel like it's the opposite of how it's often thought about at least in the us where i am it's I think we look at the teeth and just think of like rearranging the teeth versus making more room for the teeth to fit naturally without having to be kind of rearranged in such a harsh way. And I think also this concept was first introduced to me. I read in your work as well, but from Dr. Weston A. Price um, years ago when I was first getting into health, I read Nutrition and Physical Degeneration and his comparison of the jaw structure of these more different cultures compared to the modern Western world and how drastically different it was and how drastically it shifted in the span of just one generation when some of those factors were changed. So let's talk about some of the factors that come into play here. And I I know that there are things people can do even if their kids are already older, but I'd love to talk about, you know, in a best case scenario, how do we set this up pre-birth? How do we set this up from the ages of your kids? Like how do we give our kids the best shot at this? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Weston A. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, was my kind of entry point into this whole world. You know, as a dentist conventionally trained uh, in biomedical science and then into clinical dentistry, I was taught that, you know, crooked teeth is something that you identify. So like this is this type of crooked jaw and this is this type of malocclusion. So class one, class two, class three, and that's it. This is how you fix them. You you refer them to orthodontics or you do uh, general practice uh, orthodontics to correct them. Weston A. Price was a guy that went around in the 30s and he showed that the in human populations that eat the traditional diet, they do not get any of the the dental diseases that we see in today's modern population. So that's tooth decay up to 30% and up to 50% in pediatric populations have decay now. Now he's showed that both decay and crooked teeth happens in one generation when we uh, feed our kids the modern diet. And so when the parents and when the kids uh, have the modern diet, when we come off traditional foods, then we begin to see this collapse of the jaw and we begin to see a rotting of the of the teeth. So up to 30 to 50% in tooth decay. And so 
for a dentist trained, you know, in you know the the early two thousands, this was normal to me. This is like my identification process. You know, we we look at cavities and we look at crooked teeth and we fix them and that's it. Now Price was talking about, hey, how do we get in and understand why this is happening? And so that's where this whole kind of melding between um, you know, oral diagnosis and functional medicine principles, where we're actually thinking about why diseases are happening, starts to really show us that, hey, the childhood um, jaw growth and development period should really be something that we're watching closely. And you know, there's a lot of evidence that popped out in the early 2000s, you know, the human genome project that showed that you know the the hum, the the genome whilst it's it's we can map the amount of genes it doesn't explain the amount of complexity in the human body and that kind of unearthed the whole science of epigenetics that then showed us that hey our environment is influencing the way genes express and that begins to show that even before a child is born there are epigenetic factors that are influencing how a mother will pass on how a father will pass on his epigene Known to their unborn child, and then how that relates to their growth and development in 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 the womb, and this is what we're seeing now is that you know many kids, babies in particular, aren't born you know with with a jaw that really gives them you know a good go at latching and you know feeding well, and that's all the start of it. So a child's jaw starts to grow you know roughly from about twelve weeks in utero, and and one of the the big factors that we miss is that uh, the the disconnection of the of the areas of the fetus that disconnect the jaw and the tongue actually happens about 12 weeks. And so in this period, when you don't get a disconnection, you get a tethering of tissue between the tongue and the jaw, which, which we know as a tongue tie or, or a lingual frenum, which then can pin the, the, the tongue down to the floor of the mouth. And, and this is a, a reason or one, one of the ways that um, you know, neonatal influences can actually show how jaw growth can be affected one by nutrition because we know that midline deficiencies such as tongue tie is affected by folate and b vitamins and so forth so when we don't have the correct versions of of b vitamins it's just like we get spina bifida and that's why we take the the activated folates and so forth but you also get the midline deficiencies in the mouth which are potentially the the lingual frenums and the the clefts as well so we have these nutritional inputs which Price showed we're related to fat-soluble vitamins. You know, the teeth and the um, the jawbone, the immune system all rely heavily on vitamin D. And we know now that you know, through pregnancy that we have a you know almost epidemic proportions that we have vitamin D deficiency. And we know that early childhood caries is related to vitamin D deficiency. So a vitamin D deficient mother will have a high proportion of uh, children with early childhood caries, which is the black marks or the brown marks along the gum line. That which is really tragic for a um, you know for a young family because it's such a hard thing to go through, but we're starting to see now that these deficiencies are playing a role into how a child then develops, and the eruption of the teeth is the same. So you know in the first you know, six to twelve months, a child starts to get their first teeth erupting, and in those times, you know what's happening is that the child's beginning to learn to chew. You know, converting from breastfeeding to solid, maybe, or maybe they are a bottle feeder, or maybe they have a habit, like a thumb sucking habit or a, a pacifier that stays through to over 12 months. All of those things start to add on to how the, the teeth and jaw are developing. And the, the principles of jaw development lie within the physical factors, which is nasal breathing, which expands the upper jaw, the palate, and also the tongue posture. So the tongue to the roof of the mouth. Because when a when a child is born, their palate is soft and malleable. And so when the tongue seals upward and backwards, back to the soft palate, which is the motion that breastfeeding should teach a child, then what happens is that the palate expands and the jaw expands to fit the teeth. Now, when you get these functional issues, the child begins to learn and, and begins to survive in in a way that it it's, you know, it basically is is taught to do because it's got a little jaw, it's got a, an underdeveloped palate, which we'll talk about. But then it starts to create functional uh, habits that then begin to form potentially a jaw that doesn't fit teeth. So we begin to get these issues that start to stack onto each other right from when teeth begin to erupt. And so this continues right through to when a child you know, has their full eruption of their pediatric teeth, which is you know, roughly about three years of age. And then between three to six, you have the you start to get the transition of the adult teeth to come through. 
And this is when we really start to see, hey, this child ha- doesn't have enough space for their adult teeth. And so in all of these stages, there are intervening factors that parents can be both identifying and then starting to get their child piece by piece to remove the risk factors that slow down the jaw growth. So it's a really detailed, but also a really kind of, you know, interactional way that parents can kind of take on their own child's growth and development. I know that that's in and of itself enough information to fill books, but can you give us some kind of overview of by different age, some things parents can be aware of and start to look out for, and then we can also talk about solutions by age? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's really something that's not really taught to to parents, especially is when teeth are up for for a start, right? And so, as we said, so the first teeth, you know, the lower uh, anterior incisors begin to erupt roughly between three to six months. Kids are different. You know, and then so you start to get these, uh, the lower teeth beginning to cut. And then roughly between 12 to 18 months, you have four upper incisors and two to four lower incisors. So you've got the front teeth starting to erupt and then you'll you'll begin to get the first molar. So once that first molar erupts around 12 months or so, you be, what happens is the child begins to start to chew on the back teeth. So they begin to, to uh, the ability to be able to crush food. And so... When we introduce solids, which is at six months, that's when a child needs to start to create that proprioceptive message through the jaw and the brain to begin to tell the the teeth and and the jaw to, hey, you need to crush and grow foods. Just like going to the gym, exercising a joint, is that the jawbone needs to strengthen and the the teeth need to um, send those messages to the brain to tell the, the jaw to grow. So... As a child begins to say that they are bottle or breastfeeding, as they they begin to you know I, I call it weaning, um, you know because it's a slow weaning process. But as you begin to introduce solids to a child, it should start to give this proprioceptive feedback. So we started with a like a puree form or eggs and breast milk, you know, basically introduction with you know lunch times with like kefir and like a soft avocado, but then a, a pureed meat. But as they're going through, as they're getting used, as their guts are getting used to this this baby led weaning process, then what we should be doing is to start to increase the toughness of the food. So to start to give them that you know the, the raw carrots or the bones to chew on, you know, once they start to get those teeth at one, so that they're developing this this chewing um, this feedback because otherwise they won't learn to chew and swallow properly as as they need to and roughly by about you know two they should be you know quite competent in chewing and swallowing we see a lot of kids with early feeding issues and these are the first signs that they haven't quite you know developed that strength and that that um often it's the confidence to swallow um you know with with something a little bit more solid at the back of the throat a lot of parents battle with that so earlier on six to twelve months that's where we should be introducing now, as we get a little bit older, you know, but beyond two years, between two to three, we start to see, you know, the, the canines are up and they'll, they'll have the first molar and then roughly around three, they'll start to get their, their second molar. And that's when the, the pediatric face is set, because when the second molar sets in, it's the height of the, the upper and lower jaw that's set. And they've got a lot more chewing capacity. So at these ages between, you know, roughly 12 um, months to uh, you know, roughly around 36 months or so, a child, you know, becomes like a little human. And and that when they've got this dentition, they really should be removing a lot of the habits that were potentially around in the first maybe six to 12 months, the, the pacifier habits, the sucking habits, the chewing habits habits because it affects the the connection and the, and the messages between these upper and lower teeth so pacifiers and sucking habits at roughly these ages can interfere so for instance if you've seen a child that bites their front teeth together and they don't meet and the tongue comes forward that's called an anterior open bite and that's when often you get a thumb sucking habit through the night because the teeth don't meet because the thumb is occupying that area between the teeth there and, and the teeth just splay forward and then the child will bite and then and the teeth will splay forward and not meet. And so that's one of the first signs that the upper upper and lower jaw aren't meeting in the relationship that they really need to be. And so habits like thumb sucking or pacifiers will affect this. So between 
six months to roughly three years, we should be trying to remove that, trying to get the child independent on solids, which is a big ask in itself, you know, because we know some kids are very picky eaters, but it really should be on on parents' minds that, hey, this is the period that, that my child needs to be learning this. And if there's if there's an issue, that that's when professional help, you know, can come in. You know, can we identify a bite, for instance, that is uh, not helping a child chew and can we do something to correct so until about three to four, you know, we have this pediatric growth period where the, where they, the, the um, upper and lower jaw is set. You have this, often you don't see crooked teeth in these age groups, but, but sometimes you do. And so this is where a, a parent can start to identify, hey, has my child's jaw relationship formed the way that it needs to in order to start allowing adult teeth to come in? And that's where really a child's teeth today, well, Today, we don't see it so much, but traditionally, you see the, in these age groups, you have gaps between the teeth, and this is called um, primate spacing. And so, you know, it's roughly a one to two mil gap between the, the kid's teeth. And the reason is the kid's teeth is nearly a third of the size of, of adult teeth. And what happens is that when the adult teeth erupt, there's not enough space. So if you see that all your kid's teeth are, are tightly fit together, it looks great in a smile, looks great in photos. But the um, there's likely going to be a space issue when the child becomes five and six, when the teeth start to fall out. And then what often we see is that the 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 lower incisors fall out, and then you see these big adult incisors popping through without enough space, and they'll sometimes be crooked. They'll, they'll sometimes be you know sometimes a little bit tipped to the cheek or tipped to the to the tongue, and sometimes you'll see that these. The, the teeth won't actually fall out at all. You'll actually see the adult tooth erupt behind the kid's tooth. And that's that's called ectopic eruption. And that's where the adult tooth hasn't been able to push the child's tooth out correctly. And it's erupted in a way that that is you know unideal because you know it doesn't have enough space. So you start to see these ectopic eruptions or you see misaligned adult teeth. That's a warning sign that there's a space issue. And that's one of the the prime areas where we can start to intervene and to start to identify, hey, can we get this child's jaw to grow? And it sounds like that early feeding and mouth posture and tongue posture are very important to the degree that we can nurture that in babies, which of course are a little bit difficult to get to do what you want sometimes. But what what can parents do if they're starting to already see these, like if intervention is going to be necessary? I know when I was that age, it was braces were the option. And I had the gamut of braces and headgear and that whole thing that I definitely would not wish on my kids. Um, so what are some of the intervention options now that adjust the jaw and not just the teeth? Yeah, that's right. So with with a baby, for instance, so as you said, tongue posture is very important. So we've got an 18 month year old now, and actually she's got a sucking habit that we're trying to get her. I was just battling her this morning with this, with her her nighttime comforter. She She's you know, hell bent on having it in her mouth. And our second daughter, actually, she had that habit and she, she relieved it herself. She, it, it was no issue, but, but this daughter seems to be a little bit more kind of stubborn to keep it. Um, yeah. Removing those habits are really important, but allowing the child to be aware of tongue posture is a really important start. And this is a realm called orofacial myofunctional therapy, where we begin to teach the child the connection between the tongue and the palate. And the feeding history is important in that. So if they're breast or bottle fed, um, you know, how the child has has learned to to interface that early feeding year. So breastfeeding should teach the child to seal the tongue to the roof of the mouth. But the reality is, you know, a lot of kids, when you go back into the history, is that they weren't the best breastfeeders or there were issues, you know, sometimes there were noises or they were um, compensatory in, in the way they were extracting milk from the breast. And I see a lot of kids that still do breastfeed with these with, with these tongue posture issues and narrow upper palates. So if we look at a child, say between, you know, 18 months to four years, the the things that parents can be looking out for is, you know, what, what's a child doing when they're watching TV? So what's their lip posture doing? Do they see the child's mouth opening? Do, can you hear them breathing when they're, when they're watching television or concentrating on something? What are they doing when they're sleeping? So is the mouth flailing open when they sleep? Is there loud, noisy breathing? Are they snoring? Are they restless? So a lot of the symptoms of bad breathing and, and poor oral posture show up quite obviously during sleep. And this is when a child is beginning to, you know, as they're going into the deep sleep periods, their mouth is relaxing and the tongue 
should say sealed to the roof of the mouth. But if it doesn't, the child will breathe through the mouth. And what happens is you can get snoring, you can get teeth grinding. And so if a parent is picking these things up early on, so if a child mouth breathes at night, if they're waking up with a dry mouth, if they don't sleep well, the, the kids that don't sleep well often have an underlying sleep breathing issue. It's often due to a, an oral posture problem that has kind of flowed them into mouth breathing at night. And then it, it can become snoring. It, it can become sleep apnea, which pediatric sleep apnea is a very big issue now. That's when we know that the child needs to be seen by a professional because you know, we can teach, you know, the parent can go through the the processes of trying to teach the child to breathe through the nose, but there are often barriers between these age groups that are, that are hard to treat. And so they are, for instance, adenoids and tonsils. So swollen adenoids and tonsils will stop a child breathing through, through the nose, or it will make it very difficult for a child during sleep to breathe through the nose. That's where an airway focused dentist or GP or ear, nose and throat specialist can really help to potentially identify is there a blockage that can be removed to help the child breathe through the nose through the night because this will really help them during the development period so those kind of interventions are important in general i find uh, i've learned that cleaning the child's nose in early periods is really is, is probably far more important than cleaning their teeth so from from day naught you know, getting a warm washer and and washing out the child's nose and, and using the um you know the the nose clearing suction devices early on. Whenever a child is is um is congested, parents should be right on top of getting that cleared as soon as possible. Because in a couple of days, if you watch a child when they has a they have a cold, you know, in a couple of days of blockages. And when they're breathing through the mouth, they will begin to form that habit. And that's how a child becomes a mouth breather is that they have a blockage event. And then what happens is they never retrain that. And then so if a, if a, if a mother doesn't or a father, we, if we don't retrain the child, then it doesn't, they don't learn to breathe through the, the nose again. So clearing that. So we've used, you know, essential oils during, during sleep and clearing the nose as best as we can while a child is sick to help them get through that period alongside with all the immune support. It helps them get through that period and then breathe through the nose more efficiently after a couple of days instead of taking on that mouth breathing habit. So in those early periods up until about five, it really is the diligence to teach a child to seal the tongue to the roof of the mouth, and that's tongue clicks, so face-to-face -face with the baby, so showing tongue seal, which is they watch. They're, they're trained to watch that, and, and they will make those noises, but you teach them to, to click the tongue, and that's orofacial myology right there. But if they seal the tongue up, that's what we want them to do, and that's what will help them to you know grow that palate. And then and making sure that they can breathe through the nose as much as possible. During feeding, it's really important that they sit up straight and um, you know chew with the lips closed where possible because if their lips are closed, they're breathing through the nose and they're swallowing. All of that is happening in synchrony instead of, you know, you know the kids are loud eaters and they're kind of like noisy breathing while they're trying to eat. You know, that's a sign they can't breathe through the nose very well. So early on, those habits can start to tip them out. And if we can't get get them to to do that, then it really does, you know, suggest that they might need an examination in that area. One other area is is slow speech or sound issues. So if the child has an open bite or a high palate, for instance, which is really, um, you know, very common in kids today, it's difficult to make certain sounds, you know, S's and T's and so forth. If a child is a bit delayed or they're struggling with certain sounds, it might be a sign that they have an orofacial myology issue that they need to potentially be corrected um, during the you know these early phases. That makes so much sense. And I feel like mouth breathing is something that has been talked about more in adults lately. It seems like we're starting to become aware that there are problems with mouth breathing. I know a lot of people are into mouth taping now. So I guess kind of two-part question is first, what if for adults who are listening, they're resonating with some of these symptoms and thinking, oh, my jaw is probably not properly formed. Am I, is all hope lost now that I'm an adult or are there still things that can help? And, or as a kind of peripheral question to that, what do you think of mouth taping to encourage nasal breathing at night? Yeah. So, I mean, like just a straight up answer to that question is, is I love mouth taping for, you know, for sleep. That's something that in my own journey, uh, that's something that I've, I've, do every night now because you know it completely changes your sleep when you divert from from nasal to mouth breathing and then the reality of the situation is that you know we often see parents bringing in kids where they're like hey my kids you know not sleeping well or they've got 
these jaw and teeth development issues or they're not speaking well. But then we we go through all the risks and, and then all of a sudden they say, hey, this was me when I was young and I had braces and then, you know, this is obviously not correct. And then they f- we find that there is a underlying sometimes severe or sometimes a little bit silent sleep disorder happening in, in the adult. And it, it is very common. There's currently 1 billion people on the planet with sleep apnea. That's the most severe end of that spectrum. Now, upper airway resistance syndrome is the less severe, the less diagnosed form of that sleep disorder. And that's where we, we have this active sympathetic drive during sleep. So the jaw, one of the biggest symptoms is teeth grinding. So adults that grind their teeth and, you know, parents out there, you know, we know we don't sleep very well. So if you don't have great sleep already, and then you're reducing your sleep through the challenge of, you know, raising infants, then you're going to have a very, very hard time regulating your own energy and sleep moving forward. And, and that's something we see so often in the clinic is that parents that are just wrecked with sleep because they've been dealing with their own children's issues. And then these underlying problems in themselves have become an issue because it's usually between, you know, the ages of say, you know, maybe 35 to 45 that they start to become more obvious between 20 and 30, 35, you don't really notice, you know, a, a snoring and, and, and sleep disorder but it starts to build up you know as your life becomes a bit more serious you know in your 30s and 40s and so forth as you know you you work harder you have kids and so forth it, the energy that you you have to you know exude in these other areas it really shows that your sleep is 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 not as optimal as it needs to be so mouth taping is a great way to do that now a lot of people can't you know mouth tape themselves so that's a sign that you cannot tolerate nasal breathing. And there's two ways to go about this. One is to train yourself physically through soft tissue posture, which is the tongue and closed lip posture, to tolerate nasal breathing. And that's that's one muscular route. The other route is the biochemical route, which is slowing down your breath and learning to use the respiratory muscles deeply. So the diaphragm, learning diaphragmatic breathing, which might be yoga, might, might be potato breathing, um, you know, might be, you know, breath work or breath training that helps you to understand how to use the the breathing muscles because you have to breathe correctly in the daytime in order to breathe correctly at nighttime. So if there's a breathing issue at night, there is always a breathing issue in the day. And so it means that you, you have to spend some time to reprogram your breathing. And so you can do this by soft muscle training. So tongue posture, you know, l- doing yogi postures where you're doing breath exercise and deepening the breath and so forth. But if you still can't do that, you still can't sleep with the tape on, that's where you may need to be have some kind of architectural or or certain you know nasopharyngeal issue looked at. And so that's either a dental examination where we can look at the width of your palate or we can look at your bite. Is there a crossbite? Is there a, um is your orthodontic alignment you know blocking your airway with a you can get a cone beam 3D scan that shows actually the volume of your airway, um, you know, at the back of the throat, at the back of the nose, an ENT assessment. You know, many people have deviated septums. If you didn't develop correctly orthodontically, you almost certainly have a deviated septum in the nose. And so that's something that I did last year. I had my my um, right side corrected because it was blocked from a sporting injury, and it's helped my breathing significantly. Uh, but most parents just don't know that that's a thing. So. If you can't tolerate these things, it's a sign that perhaps you need to see a surgeon or you need to see an airway-focused dentist to begin to look at, you know, can we change the structure? And yes, we can expand adults or we, you know, we can do surgical interventions in adults or they can do myofunctional orthodontics, which is training the the jaw and, and um, breathing system to breathe through the nose at night. It's just a lot harder. And so it's a bit of a harder road for adults and the, the results are a bit more subtle, but the investment into better sleep is by far you know, worth it. And so if any adults out there are having these symptoms, I would highly recommend them looking into at least doing the training themselves to see if it's a problem for them. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about we spend roughly a third of our life sleeping, it seems like anything we do that improves sleep and that doesn't take effort once it's done is going to have payoff in every area of life. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic the company that first introduced me to functional and medicinal mushrooms and whose products I have been using for almost a decade. Mushrooms are absolutely fascinating. Being genetically closer to humans than they are to plants, the largest organism in the world is a mushroom. And mushroom networks allow trees and plants to talk to each other using something called mycorrhizal networks. 
Many types of mushrooms are also well studied for their benefits to humans and widely used in many ancient medicinal traditions and cultures. Researchers found that mushrooms have high amounts of ergothionine and glutathione, which are both important antioxidants that help fight age-related decline. I personally love eating culinary mushrooms any chance I get, but sometimes it can be hard to work those into my everyday diet every single day. And specific mushrooms have additional more targeted benefits, and that's why I love Four Sigmatic. They have a wide variety of beverages that incorporate these amazing superfood mushrooms and that taste amazing. On a typical day, I'll drink a cup of their mushroom-infused coffee or matcha with ingredients like lion's mane for focus or cordyceps to support overall health. I also love winding down with a cup of their reishi elixir, which helps me fall asleep and get more restorative deep sleep. I love their packets on the go because they're easy to throw in my purse or in my bag when I travel, and I'll often just order a cup of hot water on the go and make some lion's mane coffee on the plane. I also love mixing a packet of their coffee or matcha into a protein drink on the go for a protein-packed iced latte option. And speaking of protein, they have the only plant-based protein I like, with seven functional mushrooms plus adaptogens, and the flavor is great, especially I love their peanut butter flavor. You can check out these and all of their products at foursigmatic.com slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to get a discount. So again, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama. This episode is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end, which is my line of non-toxic, family-focused personal care products, including hair care, oral care, and now deodorant. At my house, the kids' toothbrushes and the kids' strawberry toothpaste are by far the favorites. The toothbrushes come in a three-pack of fun colors, which makes it easy for my kids to know which toothbrush is whose. The strawberry toothpaste tastes great, so there aren't any fights about teeth brushing in my house, and I love that it's formulated around something called hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral found in tooth enamel. All of our toothpaste use only EWG verified safe ingredients, are free of toxins, and are packed with ingredients that naturally support the oral microbiome for stronger, healthier, and whiter teeth naturally. We also have a natural whitening mineral toothpaste and a charcoal toothpaste, as well as floss and toothbrushes for adults. Check out these and all of our products at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. But it definitely sounds as well like the earlier, the better with all of these, which is why with your work, it's so important for parents to have this knowledge, the younger, the better with their kids and be able to watch for these things in babies. What about as kids start hitting the age where they would typically be recommended braces? Can braces actually be helpful in this? Or are there better alternatives that could be more jaw focused? Or what do you recommend with kids who come in with already some misalignment of their teeth? Yes. So between, so we kind of mentioned up to six or seven. So between seven and 12, you have this really big growth phase. That's when all the, the kids' teeth are falling out and you have all the adult teeth plummeting into the into the mouth. And at 12, you have the adult canines finalizing that, that the, the jaw arch. And that's where you start to see the kids with the canines that maybe stick out here or they're you know misaligned or you have misaligned front teeth or the, the bite that sits a long way back, the, 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 the buck tooth child, or you have the um the recessive upper jaw where the, where the upper jaw sits forward. And these are the these are the diagnoses that orthodontists look at and say, hey, you need these braces to fix these these issues. Now, the idea of myofunctional orthodontics is to address the cause and the muscle factors and the the breathing factors that cause the orthodontics in the f- orthodontic problem in the first place. And so braces can can change the alignment of the teeth, but it may not affect the underlying issue that caused them in the first place. And this is where sometimes children will, or parents will be suggested to have uh, extractions and then braces. And so in nearly in up to 90, 95% of cases, I would say we should not be extracting adult teeth to align um, the orthodontic arch. We should be looking at growing the jaw. So at once you get to 11 and 12, this all begins to slow down. So between 7 and 12, the child is extremely malleable. My functional orthodontics is absolutely remarkable. We have an amazing amount of cases where you see the, the palate just go from this tiny, you know, 30 mil um, intermolar width to up to 40, 45 mil in, in barely, you know, two years. And then you see the huge change in this kid's face. Now at 11 and 12, we can still do this treatment. We can still expand the the adolescent draw, jaw. If there is a particularly difficult, you know, orthodontic issue, like a, an impacted tooth or a 
uh, a tooth that is misaligned significantly where there's roughly more than three to four mil of space needed. It's it's likely that myofunctional ortho won't correct that, but it will severely lessen the amount of alignment needed potentially later with Invisalign or braces. So the idea that we put braces Invisalign on is great. It's the most effective way to align teeth, but if we do it without treating the underlying causes, then we're potentially you know, pushing ourselves into issues. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there with orthodontic regression now where you have misalignment of teeth after you have orthodontics. And then the other thing that people don't talk about is the the jaw issues and the the sleep issues and the and the the, the craniofacial pain, the headaches and and migraine issues that do flow on in people with history of orthodontic problems. And so even if a child is 11 or 12, there is value in my opinion to be correcting these issues and widening as much as we can. And, you know, a child 11, 12 can still significantly widen their palate. You know, you, you, we can do things like palate expanders and even implant uh, retained expanders that, that can get up to eight mil in a, in an adolescent that grows, you know, they grow, they still grow quickly, but not as quickly as the seven to 12 age. So, I would say that you know identifying the problems and finding a practitioner that deals in this way is going to give the child a more lifelong result rather than just you know aligning the the, the teeth in in that sense. That makes sense. And you mentioned so many of the sleep connections here. And I know from reading some of your stuff before, there's also seems to be a food connection. We talked about the in utero food connection for the mom and early development with nutrient deficiencies. But is there also a connection between poor sleepers at other ages and what they're eating? Yeah, I think this is one of the big areas that the parents aren't you know, really being told is that, you know, kids that don't sleep well, you know, they are going through the 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 whole you know neurohormonal endocrine issue of not releasing melatonin in the brain themselves. And you know, we're talking here about a, a physical issue where, where the autonomic nervous system is controlled by breathing. So when a child's a bad breather, you know, they're not going to sleep well because the autonomic autonomic nervous system doesn't get into parasympathetic rest and digest easily. But the other factor to that is, you know, how are we feeding the system? What uh, what are the factors that allow a child to release melatonin efficiently? Uh, and I've found that, you know, a lot of the foods, the modern foods that we know that cause tooth decay, crooked teeth and so forth, also, you know, relate to how a child sleeps as well. So vitamin D, we know, is very, very important for sleep. Now, we, we know that in sleep apnea, for instance, we see, we, we see a high connection between vitamin D deficiency and sleep apnea. So when a child isn't breathing well, they are bottoming out their vitamin D. And so there are hundreds of receptors on the brainstem for vitamin D. And so that is basically, you know, produced when a child is, you know, out in the sun or eating a high fat, you know, animal uh, based meal that is rich in fat soluble vitamins. And then that, then the brain uses to, to help convert serotonin, which is the daytime neurohormone to melatonin, which, which is the nighttime you know, neurotransmitter that, that governs everything during sleep. So when we're vitamin D deficient and when kids are vitamin D deficient, they are going to be at risk of of, of sleep issues. And they're going to be, you know, they're not going to as efficiently release these neurohormones as they need. The other big factor is blood sugars. And so when we are, you know, feeding kids high carbohydrate, sugar laden foods early on in life, and when they're going through insulin roller coasters and blood blood sugar roller coasters, their sleep is going to be severely disrupted because we know the connection between you know, insulin-like growth factor and, you know, um, all of these connections between, you know, one testosterone, which is, which is growing the, the, one of the big growth factors during uh, sleep. And then how, how our body is regulating all these neurohormones so that the child can enter into all of the five stages of sleep. So sugar and lack of vitamin D, I think the two big parts of the modern diet, especially in children, because, you know, when we feed kids, these, you know, high sugar, low fat foods, grains, sugars, uh, vegetable oils, it pushes them into a state that does not yield good sleep. And so right from day dot, you know, we, for instance, you know, I, I don't think the parents necessarily, all parents need to necessarily do this, but we didn't give our kids fruit. Be and the reason being is that I was concerned with the amount of, you know, fructose that a child can get from, you know, a modern day apple or banana and so forth, but more so the way they, they palate, they, they develop this palate for sweet things. You know, I wanted them to be, you know, 
to to recognize the nutritious taste of things like eggs and and animal foods and so forth and not crave that sweet food that they um that you get with fruit so they they didn't have any fruits grains or you know added sugars or anything like that and they all sleep very well you know i'm not saying this is you know absolutely you know what every parent has to do but in my view, the, the kids that don't sleep, where we always find the diet history and the diet patterns where there's a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of cravings. We know that bad sleep forms cravings with kids that want these high carbohydrate foods. And I think that that connection, you know, whilst it can be hard for some kids to to come down off those foods, will help them sleep better. And, and for parents to, to understand there is a connection between what my child eats and how they sleep, sleep and the quality of their sleep as well. Yeah, it makes sense that it's all so interconnected and it would seem like as such, like approaching any of these factors is going to help in the other areas as well. So like improving their nutrition will help their sleep, will help their jaw, improving their jaw and their mouth breathing will help their nutrition because they will hopefully crave healthier foods, et cetera. But I love that you present this as like a very holistic approach and it's so helpful, I think, to hear the different by milestones and by age, what to look for. And I'm even, you know, making mental mental notes for my own kids as they get older and also to know like not all braces are bad all the time, but that's not necessarily the best starting point. And it's also very much hopeful to know even for adults, if we're already seeing these patterns in adults, and even if we're all, you know, quote, full grown, there are still things that can be helpful. I think the conversation around sleep and mouth breathing is a really, really important one. As you said, I didn't realize it was that high, a billion people in the world with sleep apnea, but it seems like this is something drastically on the rise as all of these things are. It's like we're seeing an increase, and you must see this in practice every day, an increase in all of these issues kind of across the board. Absolutely. You know, as I said at the start, in our practice, because we've been focusing on this for a while, we're beginning to see the, um, you know, the parents are beginning to switch on to the fact that, hey, something's not quite right with how my child is is growing, developing, and there's something there in their mouth that that isn't quite right. And, you know, it's great that I've, you know, I've had parents that have come and fully diagnosed their kids in their open bite, their narrow palate. They've, they've done the whole thing because they've, they've done their own research, basically, which is really kind of nice to know. And then basically treatment is so much easier than because we're, we've, we've done 50, 50% of the work. But the real kind of message there is that there is this huge problem in our child's life where where we as a population now do not grow jaws that is adequate to fit our airway and sleep. And so what happens is that, you know, we have these kids that are really battling on a number of fronts. It's sleep, it's nutrition, it's it's the the postural factors of mouth breathing. You know, the, the, you see a lot of kids now on devices with their head tip forward and they're breathing through the mouth that does not develop their their jaw the way it needs to happen and they suffer in many different ways you know, adhd medicines and so forth all of these issues that kids are suffering with adenoids and tonsil issues which is a, a, an underlying respiratory and breathing issue immune problem so they're all related to a poorly or slowly growing craniofacial system which is no one's fault by the way you know i've also had parents that have been They've been onto this, you know, nearly from day naught. You know, they've been you know eating nutritious, you know, traditional based, animal based diets, and they are they still have these kids sometimes with with dental decay, and they're just like pulling their hair out. And the way I kind of say it to them too is that well, we have to remember we're in a generational problem now. Often with kids' teeth, we, you know, it will become a thing of the past, and all that work that 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 parent did is going to you know. It, it will be fixed when when the adult teeth, you're going to have a beautiful adult dentition in that child. But there is still things working through, and you know it, they're they're a little bit dejected in that sense. But you know, I think we have to see this as a much bigger problem that all parents should be kind of seeing their kid in in a much bigger picture. That hey, this is something that we're trying to fix for their grandchildren, and like the investment we we do in their sleep and breathing. And, and the other thing too is teaching the children. I love hearing kids talk these things back to us and tell us about tongue, tongue posture and you know eating you know nutritious uh you know fat filled foods and you know the way they they're improving their sleep and wearing their their my functional ortho guards and 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 how their face is changing that's a child that's going to teach that to their child and then they will teach it to their child so i'm hoping that this becomes something that we can really embed into you know a, a, a societal conversation instead of just you know maybe fixing child by child 
I love that. I've said that in relation to lots of areas of raising children is that they understand so much so early and you're in the very early phases of seeing that every day, how much they learn and understand. And I think when we put in the work to educate them, whether it be about nutrition, whether it be about different aspects of their own education, they're capable of understanding so much. And to your point, when it comes from that internal motivation and they understand the reasons, the effects seem much longer lasting. And we know that in education as well, they're more likely to remember it when they have an interest in learning it and they're excited about it. Um, so I love that you bring the kids into that as well. And I know there's so much more we could cover on this topic and endless topics within the realm of dental health, but where can people keep learning from you online? Yeah, so they can find me at www.drstevenlin.com or at on social medias at, at Dr. Stephen Lin. Yeah, and so you know, we really try to push the for the idea forward of functional dentistry and and understanding the root causes of dental medicine instead of just treating the, the results of that. And so it's something that I think is really powerful for both parents, but also for for adults too. There's so much learning that I've done, you know, just going through this. You know, you know, I think you and I are pretty similar in the sense that you know we always implement things for ourselves before for, for our children, and that's it's just such a powerful way for a family to grow and heal together. Absolutely. And I've always said what we model is more powerful than even what we say. And so when they see it us doing it, they're more likely to want to do it as well. I know you have so many resources on your website. I'll make sure that is linked in the show notes as well as your book. Um, you just are such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm so excited and encouraged to see people like you really on the forefront of this kind of holistic oral care, jaw health, and really looking at these things. So I feel like this was a conversation we ignored for too long. And it's really exciting to see people like you really working to fix it. And a couple last questions I love to ask at the end of interviews. The first being if there is a book or number of books that have really profoundly impacted your life. And if so, what they are and why. Well, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration was a big one. But we kind of talked about that. So, But actually, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, was probably, I look back now, as one of the, the more influential you know, books in my life, mainly because it was a strategy of thinking and, and way to look at problems uh, and not to be kind of tied down by biases. So, you know, one thing about, you know, medical problems is that they are so riddled in bias and being out, able to kind of think differently behind problems and not just what you are, what you are um, presented with is something that really kind of shaped my thinking. I think with, with Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. I love it. I will link to those as well. And lastly, any parting advice for the listeners today that could be related to the things we've talked about or unrelated? Yeah, look, I mean, with, with parents, you know, it, it, it's difficult, you know, raising kids. Everyone knows that the kids are difficult. Um, I would just say that everything, I, I find that a lot of people that come into the clinic, they're a little, sometimes a little bit overwhelmed with, you know, and sometimes they're a little bit guilty as well that, you know, that they perhaps, you know, didn't know this before, but you know, that you, you only know what you know and everything you do in your child's life is going to have a, an impact. And, you know, we are all learning in this whole kind of raising kids and, you know, trying to teach our next generation to be better. And, you know, I, I would try to to tell them, you know, not to get yourself down if you've missed something or if it's something that you feel that, you know, your child has, you know, perhaps been a little bit behind on. But, you know, the positive impact of learning that now is going to have a far, you know, a far more positive experience than, you know, being tied down in the, in the negative of it. So, you know, don't lose hope and that, you know, ultimately, you know, kids are highly resilient and they will, they will come through this. And as long as, you know, everyone keeps pushing forward, this is going to be hopefully a problem that we solve. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing today and for being flexible on scheduling with an ocean in between us. I have learned a lot as I always do from you and you guys, please check out the links in the show notes to keep learning from Dr. Stephen. But thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks as always to all of you for sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.